Hello, this is Ash Eric Moore. You're listening to the Mothers of Mayhem podcast, an extreme horror podcast by two lovely people. So I drink till the night becomes another day, and the day's just another little thing in our way. There's something about the way you beat me down that I'll never learn. You're the kind of no return. The pain in my chest, the stain on your dress, the glass in my eye. But this life is a joke, and death is the punch. I Whoa. <laughs> beep time. Beep, beep, kids. Welcome to Mother's Mayhem, an extreme horror podcast. Drew doesn't like it when we say extreme horror anymore. Neither, but you know what? I guess he does either. He, he should have mentioned that before we branded the fucking podcast. We could make it Drew sucks donkey butts in a, a podcast. I like it. We're rolling with that from now on. There you go. It's there good. You, you know, in the last episode, uh, I'm pretty sure maybe we told you, I don't remember who we told you we were going to be hanging out with today, but whoever we said that was going to be, it was a lie. Um, <laughs> and instead, we are going to be chatting it up with a brilliant authoress and actual immortal being, Ruth Ann Jag. Not only is Ruthann an extraordinary writer, but her beauty is so mesmerizing that when she made a deal with the devil to gain a mortal life, the devil was like, you know what? Fuck it. Not only am I going to let you live forever, but I'm actually just going to go ahead and sell my soul to yeah. you. I, I, I think that actually may be the closest thing to fact that you've done so far, Thank to be you. perfectly honest. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very knowledgeable about things. Yep. I could tell you more. You could. Or I could tell some facts. Um, no. Ruth Ann is a powerful sorceress, and all of her stories and books are actually enchantments that allow her to take control of our realities, which she then controls with her dreams. Nope, that still doesn't. No, no. I don't think she does that. She does, though. Do you have any proof? Are there sources to back you up? I said it, and that's all the proof that you need. Okay, I feel like that is not how real life goes, but we're going to go with it. And then I'm going to add some facts that aren't true. Oh, all right. Go ahead. Okay. Vomit your lies all over our reputable podcast. (laughs) Right, so reputable, let me tell you. Um, She hails from New York, but lives in Texas. With the spiders Um, and the lizards. Oh, and scorpions. There's scorpions in Texas too. Because she's a witch. You think so? We got a question for her that is kind of witchy. And it will only- Stop jumping the gun. Mm. Don't jump the gun. I shan't. Oh, God dang podcast is for amateurs you 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 may continue okay she lives on (laughs) she actually lives on a like old tiny farm 
Mm-hmm. And she gets some of her inspiration because like mm-hmm. there's nobody around her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. are you? And so she does mm-hmm. novellas. She does uh-huh. um, short stories. Yeah. Yeah. We have our children today because, yeah. you know. Ice Rink uh, Gate 2022. So, so, um, so, so basically what you're saying is that Ruthann <laughs> lives on an isolated old farm where she no, is away no. from the general population and um, cohabitates with lizards, spiders, and desert rodents, but she is not a witch. Oh, fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, so well, so, shit. Yeah. So d- d- did you ever see that movie Return to Oz where baby fruits a bulk place Dorothy and then there's those scary wheelie things and the clock robot man and that which who has that closet full of pretty girl heads and then she can take her own head off and put their heads on to be beautiful forever. And then that one time Dorothy gets into that head closet and then the heads all scream and stuff. Like Ruth Ann. Yeah, see, no, like Ruthann is like that witch, except that she's actually very sweet and very nice and not evil, and she doesn't wear dead girl heads that I am aware of. Mm. Do you have proof that she doesn't? No. Boop, 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 boop. There are a lot of questions here. I can't hear you. I yeah. feel like we're not going to get accurate answers either. Yeah, because why would she tell us the truth? I can't hear you. Of course you can't hear me. Anyway, with every podcast besides our children being annoying buttheads, um, trigger warning, content warning, spoilers. Because we will be going in depth a little bit into some of her short stories. And um, I just don't, you know, fuck their feelings. I'm going to talk about them. So if you haven't read it, that's your warning. What? I'm I'm sorry. I wasn't listening to anything you just said because I was thinking about what it would be like to be one of those pretty girl heads in that, that witch's girl head closet. Also, I may have a small crush on Feruza. Feruza Balk? Yes, just a small one. She may be like one of the three that I get to cheat on Michael with. So, so George W. Bush, Peyton Manning, Feruza Balk. <laughs> George W. Bush, yes, absolutely. Because I like him a little stupid sometimes. <laughs> I know. Wow. Did not got, see that one coming. You got you? range. <laughs> I, I am a classy bitch. And like I said, I either like him in Gucci or I like him coming straight out of the trailer park. Like, it doesn't matter anything in between. Like... Leader of the free world who kind of fucked Machine a few things gun up. Kelly. <laughs> okay, first, don't you talk about my imaginary baby daddy. I love Machine Gun Kelly. And anybody who talks shit about him, I'm just like, you listen to Britney Spears. So, like, we all have skeletons in our closet oh, musically. Oh, oh, 
right. I know almost all Machine Gun Kelly songs. Oh my Ooh, God. Gun. Okay. Oh. This is a mover and a shaker episode. <laughs> because I've gotten a lot of comments about me being Penny Costal in the past. So now I'm excited to see how many people are like, what the fuck, Christina George W. Be like, calm down. If you don't want to bang him, leave him alone. Like, <laughs> then me. let me have mine. God, like, <laughs> it's not your three, you idiot. Like, uh, we're already off to a great start. This is going to be great. We are. We are. Have you been reading anything interesting? I don't read. I don't read. Yeah, me neither. I don't even know what the fuck we're doing here. I'm not at all interested in words or letters that combine into words. So I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, I'm just like, whatever. Um, I got Call Me Hoop in the mail. Oh my God, I was going to talk about that too. I got mine. Yep. So I cheated a little because I've read every book Mm -hmm. in the series up until this point I went ahead and just skipped to the last two books today which Mm -hmm. is Ryan Harding's The Profile yep and then Drew's final short story The Diner which gives us a better idea of what all is actually going Mm -hmm. on in the universe you want to go back and reread it don't you fucking scumbags burn in hell and I am very excited for what comes next Oh, serious! She book. did. She knew that I had the exact same one, so we she went and found it. Book. She yes. said, "We have the same book with hoop That's on the cover." Yeah, we this? have the same hoop? book. It is hoop. It's hoop. Yes, Mommy hoop. and I have been reading this. I cannot wait for season two to start. Dropping. Oh my God. I'm so did you see excited. who's on season two? Yes, I did. But tell them all about it. Uh, Nick fucking Robinson. Yes. And the professor. I know I can't. Like, and um, K-Trap Jones. K-Trap Jones. Well, he did uh, and Trap House. No. Matt Whiston. K-Trap. No. Uh, oh, Drew did uh, Trap, Trap House. House. Drew, Drew was Trap House. Because that was the most uncomfortable story I've read in a long time. Because I hated that character so much. No, it wasn't even the character. It was when he went to pay for something and his card was declined. Like that was my biggest fear as a kid. And it's still my biggest fear as an adult is having this huge thing of groceries and then your card gets declined in front of everyone. You don't want to know how many times this has happened to me. Like it is. I know it's, it's terrible. Fear. It's terrible. But it happens. You want to cry? No, I know. But it happens, and that's what. Like, he's such a dick character. But that moment, that moment in that story, it makes him relatable. And as a reader, you're like, "Fuck, I don't want to be relatable to that guy." I know. But you are, and I think that's the genius of that story. But yes. don't tell Drew because then Drew's just gonna get a big head. Freaking laser tits, that guy. man. Yeah. I know. Laser tits is the worst. Fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey. Hmm. I want to talk to the head witch. Oh, God. That's right. Because you're just going to make things up about this poor woman. I'm not making shit up. You're not I'm making not anything making, up. I'm not making anything up. Nothing. Not no. one thing have you made up. No. 
No. Okay. Well, I think you're going to kiss the bed tonight because that's what my mother always said. Is we kiss the bed. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> Marion P update 2022. Yeah. <laughs> if we ask really nice, I wonder mm. if she'll show us her head closet. Mm-mm. She probably will. Christina drugs her babies, but you didn't hear us say that. Look at this beautiful They're prescriptions. Woman. They're prescriptions. <laughs> look, look, look with your special eyes. Oh, only if you're watching YouTube, though, because if you're listening, it's very important for you to know that we finally have Ruth and Jack in the room with us. And she's After gorgeous. The- I'm excited. I'm, I've been living for this. Because you two are redefining not only moms, but you're redefining so many of us in the genre. A voice, and you're giving everybody a platform. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned the other day, y'all were like 29th on listeners in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Oh, just. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Ranking 39 <laughs> in New Zealand. Right? <laughs> Those Kiwis are crazy people. Plot <laughs> twist. There's only 10 people in New Zealand who actually <laughs> listen to <laughs> book podcasts. <laughs> and because one of them listens to us, we're 39th. <laughs> exactly. um, I have been to New Zealand and they're very quirky, loving, exciting people. They really don't have any um, boundaries there. They'll do anything and try anything and celebrate anything. Um, so I can see why y'all would fit right into their. I was going to say, uh, all of this makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a buttload of questions to ask you. Are you buttload. ready? I sure Oh my I, gosh. I'm always, I'm always ready. Um, You know, I live on a, a kettle ranch in the middle of nowhere and you never really know what's going to happen here. So y'all are just one more notch in the day for me. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, before we start hitting you with our own questions, tell the people a little bit about yourself and your writing career. It's it's pretty simple. Um, I started writing two years ago in January, pre-COVID, actually. Um, and it's kind of amusing because, you know, we always say we're going to do things. We're going to write. We're going to build the ultimate sandcastle. We're going to have the perfect garden. And we're always waiting for someday. Well, there was just a point where, you know, I am isolated because of where I live and I don't have family here. I mean, it's great to have the connection, social media and, you know, the platform of Zoom and everything and FaceTime where you can actually talk to people. But it was one day and there was a a writing contest and it was really sponsored by a very high end publisher. Um, So far above my pay grade. I was punching so high above my weight. But I entered the contest on a whim. I sat down and wrote a story, sent it off, didn't hear anything for a while, got a note back. And of course, it was a rejection. And we can talk about rejections later because I have a kind of interesting theory on rejections that people do when I tell them about it. And it was rejected, but the publisher um, sent me a personal note and he said, whatever you do, keep writing. I couldn't use story for what I'm looking for he said but your raw talent is real vivid get some help you know take a couple of classes work with some people and keep writing 
Well, at about the same time, RJ Rolls, who now with, um, he does books of horror, mm-hmm. which yeah. is what I mean now, 20,000 strong yeah. On, yeah. on Facebook. I mean, it's been such an influential, cohesive, fabulous group mm-hmm. to be a part of. RJ Rolls put out his first books of horror community anthology. And RJ has a really unique, neat way of doing things. He gives everybody a chance to be published for a first time, if you're at all readable. And he put out the anthology and a lot of us kind of got together and we started subbing to other things. I took a mentorship with Crystal Lake Publishing, which is a very strong- That's really cool. Yeah. esteemed publishing company. Yeah, Jasper Park works with them a lot. I want to say I did a, a three-month mentorship with them, and it was a lot of work, but I learned a lot from some of the best in the business. And I would recommend it probably to anybody just starting out, because no matter how much raw talent you have, you need to learn some rules before you can start breaking them. And if you really want to start getting acceptances and you want to submit clean work that people are willing to read and willing to take a chance on publishing, it really helps to have some of that under your belt. Now, you're both professionals. You're both educated. You're both trained. You know exactly what I'm saying. You're not, oh, who would have known, you know? I mean, I no, I've, I've got a bachelor's. I got a little bit of it. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's, it really put me on a trajectory where I found the confidence to start submitting And I really have been fortunate in that. Um, I've published, and I want to say, 22 anthologies. Most of them I've published with a number of different publishers, which has also taught me a lot because each each publisher has their own way of doing things. Each one has their own expectations of you. You learn about contacts and contracts when you're doing anthology publishing. Um, and then last year I submitted to DNT with my first solo novella, The New Girl's Patient. And it's been out a month and I honestly could not be more thrilled. Um, the reviews have been stellar. It's amazing. The it is. People have been amazing. Um, it's a short novella, but it was a natural transition from <laughs> what I was doing, which was short stories. I think that sometimes too many people go and they just try to put a novel out. Well, that's a whole other animal. And the competition in the two years since I started writing and publishing has skyrocketed. COVID brought up the author and everybody. Mm -hmm. The uh, necessity being time allowance, being the fact that they didn't have a job anymore or they were home more out of necessity for childcare. Mm-hmm. So many people have decided to follow that dream and start writing. I'm thrilled. I think it's great. There's some fabulous new voices, but it also reverts back to what I said. Now there's a lot stronger chance that you're probably going to get a rejection mm-hmm. if you're submitting at this point. So I feel like there was a fairy godmother on my shoulder when I started because I started before it really became extremely challenging to yeah. do. I had I had the get numbers game on my side, whereas you used to have, let's say, 100 submissions. Folks are now getting eight and 900 submissions. Oh, wow. wow. So this is something I'm hearing from so many publishers with their open calls. They're... Wow. They have to hire people for slush readers because they can't possibly keep up with the volume of submissions they're receiving. 
So to go back sense. to that, and we can talk about it if you feel it's a pertinent point, it really, really helps people to format and clean up their work via an editor or beta writers at this point before you're subbing. I mean, I get a lot of messages from people and they're like, well, who can I sub to and how can I do this and how can I do that? I would only say put out the cleanest, best possible work you can put forward right now because the market is changing and it is evolving. And where we lost some very strong publishers last year, we've also got some new ones coming into the fold. Mm -hmm. So everybody's looking for something a little different depending on what their brand is and what they want to put out as their body of work. But gosh, you've really got to be on point anymore. Um, <laughs> your chances of getting lucky at this point have have changed. I mean, it's a lot different than when I started two years ago. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. 100 to 800. And like, what? Really? Oh, my gosh. There's, there's so much. There's so much work out there. I have stacks of reading. One of the negative things about writing is, I basically have no time to read. I will beta read for friends or I will give something a run over. Literally, I'm sitting here looking at stacks of books I'm dying to get into. But it- you Story know, of our lives. <laughs> it's like a guilt thing though. Yeah. Um, do I read yeah. or do I finish this? Do I finish <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sorry. I've got shelf. <laughs> oh, this is just my bedside pile. Yeah. I have an entire shelf downstairs and like you need like a my Kindle. You're like, you're like the redheaded bookworm of stacks over my there. My God. Terrible. Right? Marion the librarian. I like that. Oh. I <laughs> librarian because you always broadcast from your bed. Mm. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're laying like Cleopatra back on the sheets, you know? <laughs> You got it, lady. (laughs) (laughs) It suits you. It it really does. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And I'm just wherever the hell my kids can't find me. Wherever they can't find you. And I spent my husband and the dog's life. This is actually the wall of what was supposed to be my room here on the ranch. My house is 100 years old. So needless to say, it's chopped up. And when Mike and I get a hobby or we want to do something... It's easier for us to put up another building or add on a room than try to make the original house yeah. work because we've got small chopped up rooms with narrow doorways. I always say it's the best incentive not to gain too much weight because I won't fit through these two foot doors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the stairwell to upstairs is like this wide. Oh my God. I yeah, there was a lot of houses. my boobs to get up the stairs. <laughs> I would not be able to get up those stairs. So I would be a bottom floor gal. I don't go, I don't go very often, Chris. It's just when I have company and they want to stay and I have to go up and like get the rooms up there ready kind of thing. So yeah. this is actually supposed to be my room. So when I do interviews and different things, I literally threaten the dog and the man if they open the door to this room. I mean, it's... There's like a sign on the door that says, do not disturb. And he knocks before. So if I want to get away from it all, I kind of come in here. And then if he knocks, I act like I don't hear him. (laughs) Or just pretend like you're talking to someone. 
Yes, right? exactly. You know. And there's no longer small children here, sadly. Um, so I don't have that minor inconvenience. So I've got to say, Chris has had a lot to the flavor sometimes. I can definitely send you some little ones. Oh, me too. <laughs> love it. We can fix that real fast. I would like, love it. I miss them because they make... They make everything in life seem possible again. You know, yeah. just coming out of two really dark, yeah. heavy years. And you listen to some of the stuff these kids say, and they've got the answers and they, they see it more, all more clearly than we do. Yeah, and I, Sarah's- I the way we could revert to some of that, like, this is what it is. I mean, yeah. all you got to do, it's almost a superhero mentality. Yeah. But it's a really positive one to embrace. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they cut to the quick. I mean, oh, good, yeah. bad, or otherwise. Oh, yeah. 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 Sarah's decided to tell me that she wanted to be a dinosaur astronaut. I like so, that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to tell you you can't. No. Mm-mm. I mean, I if that's what you feel you like you need to do with your life. you want to do and... Um, it's, it's something interesting, you know, we're kind of crossing over with women in horror month too. And mm-hmm. so many women are intimidated. Well, actually February, you know, we've, we've got the, the, you know, we're honoring black history month. We've got women in horror month. So some people changed it. Some people are just sliding it into two months. It's all fabulous, but I do get questions from other females and they're, they're like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe I should write fantasy or maybe I should write dark erotica or maybe I should just write I'm like, look, you can write, you can write dark speculative, you can write horror, you just have to be prepared to command the respect. And this is something that I've gone into with a few people. Like I say, I started two years ago, I have had nothing but respect. Males are buddies, they're my they're my mentors. We message each other. They bloom for me. They consult with me. My husband's fabulous, but basically he'll look at my book and he'll go, damn, another one. You know, he just <laughs> into it. But it's, it's, a, it's a genre where women are still in the minority, but the ones that are prominent in it, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, they blow my mind. And I also had the conversation with somebody the other day. I think as women, we approach the genre differently. Now, I'm not saying we're more sensitive. I do think that our female spidey senses might respond to things a little bit mm. different in some ways. Male, yep. female, whatever, whatever your pronouns are. I think there's so many unique perspectives that can be given to dark speculative and horror at this point. You know what right. I'm saying? It's uh, it's really kind of exploding, but I still get other females who are a little bit intimidated, um, including myself. When I was working on my novella and I was working on edits and Patrick Harrison III, who PC3. PC3! He's badass and brilliant and one of the kindest, funniest, snarkiest guys um, I'm, I'm really fortunate to be, to have such great friends, like I said, and there was a, a, there were a few scenes where I'm not particularly an extreme horror girl. Now I will go there if I need to, but I kind of really went there in this novella. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were editing and I said, is it too much? And he kind of snarkily typed back, do you know who you're talking to? Right. No. <laughs> 
you know, like, and I have it's to, never I have, enough. It's, it's something that somebody said to me two years ago. They said, Ruth, don't flinch. So when somebody says to me, what's your best advice for another female author or someone who's identifying or writing in dark speculative or horror, I would tell them, don't flinch. I love don't that. Yeah. What others are going to think, especially men, because you want to, you want to expand your readership. And I mean, yes, I could write twinkly fabulous things that would probably get a, a following from a female reader perspective I mean I'm a big outlander girl you know I could write these mythical mystical things but if you want a broad readership and you want the heavier readers that are going to read don't flinch because that's how you're going to grow as an author you're going to grow with the critiques you're going to figure out do I want to be known as an extreme author or do I want to be known as someone who just goes there when she needs to but man when she goes there she freaking goes there you know what I'm saying right and I think no, it's, kind of a, it's a pivotal point also for what's happening in the genre you know what I'm saying oh yeah, I think yeah. extreme is coming into its own um and we all love it um, but it's not for all readers. Oh, so no. you have to kind of tamper that position when you are writing anymore and figure out exactly who do I want my readers to be. And oh, absolutely. It's tough. it's tough. And also it goes back to the publisher. How willing is your publisher to put you on the godless platform, to put you on some of the other um becoming more popular but not as generic platforms like amazon shall we say oh yeah what, yeah and from what i understand and i've only had um, a couple of experiences with barnes and noble they're very particular about it oh they, my god yes they yeah, will be the they, first to shut you down if they feel like it's too much right even amazon's more gracious they, they're curating very carefully, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably a good thing because it is their brand and it is what they want to put forward, but it's all, it's all changing and it's changing fast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And don't you think that like the streaming services, and I had this discussion with Mike the other night, you know, the streaming platforms demand fresh content all the oh, time. Yeah. And so many people are getting exposed to more layers of horror through the streaming services. Mm. I, li I like to think that people are opening and expanding a little bit more. Now, see, you don't have kids, but look what you've got visiting. Oh, my how-how. <laughs> this guy... This guy is 12 years old and we've been together longer than my husband and I have been together. So he is almost always with me. Even when he's not on screen, he's probably here. <laughs> I love it. They're so dear. We've got a 10 year old border collie and she's like an old lady anymore. But when we get frustrated with her, I'll look at Mike and I'll say, you know, day's going to come. We wish she was annoying us. I you know, know yeah. I know my yeah. buddy. Yeah. I think this is a great place, Christina. Ask her your question about her shorts. I, we, Ruth and I did um, 
Ruthanna and I did a one-on-one and Captain sucks at technology here. It didn't go, but we talked a lot about your short stories. You know that I absolutely love your short stories. They I'm are so delighted. <laughs> phenomenal. Wait, Marion doesn't know about them. So. Well, your story, the pie bird from uh Baker's dozen. dozen was one of my favorite stories. Come on. Because I, I immediately I was, I was so delighted. I, I was I was I was so pleased. Oh, it's um, so good. I tend I, to, so you have a question specifically about the short stories or just I'm just I go all we're gonna talk, yeah, we're gonna talk about um all of them and then I just have a little question about them uh-huh. just because I want more people to know about your short stories. Mm-hmm. Like they're phenomenal. So the first one, let's talk about Pie Bird first. Um, I read it and I immediately, because I think I beta read it and, or I had an arc of it and I sent you a message and was like, am I catching all of this stuff? Is this, because yes. she's the one thing that Ruth Ann does that a lot of people have a problem doing is she can sneak little pieces of things in. Like little homages, little, 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 little fun, nerdy Easter egg stuff. Yeah. You know? I'm basically, I'm basically a very large nerd. Yeah. <laughs> She's a word nerd. Welcome. Like I am, I am. You are amongst your people. <laughs> yes. But like Pie Bird has a lot of Poe related yes. tidbits. Yes. And for someone like me, when I'm like, wait a second, she thinks she's clever. <laughs> and she is. She is. Not she everybody can... reads the classics or have mm-hmm. read the classics. You know, you, you talk to these kids now and when we were in school, it was required reading to yeah. read them. They don't read them now. So you have to hope that when you do try to do, be a little cerebral or maybe play a little to someone like yourself that picked up on it right away mm-hmm. but there's still a few people out there that appreciate it yeah. um because not everybody can or will because they have not read those stories they have not read about you know what it meant like to be immured in other words buried alive or what a black cat symbolizes yeah. throughout so much of classic literature both good and bad, that kind of thing. And what I loved is Christine messaged me and she picked up all everything right away. And I was like, oh my God, she gets it. She's yeah. I'm not like Christine the here. Ah, that's no, great. No, no. Because, no. and I like, that's one of my favorite things to do is to, because yeah, I don't read for fun. I can't read for fun. Some people could just pick up a book and just breeze through it, no big deal. I analyze everything. That's that's a really such a door high girl. quality to have though, but that's why you can also read so fast and process and do what you mm-hmm. do. So. But uh, no, I, I don't process all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of highlighting. Sometimes you just I hardly <laughs> ever process. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but obviously the pie bird is one of our favorites. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. But there are um don't judge a book from dire circle yes yes my yes notes, yes my notes the first thing is so holy shit and i get so many messages about that story 
Um, it was a very unique call because the call was for the dark zodiac. Yes. A lot of people are unfamiliar with, we're all familiar with the traditional zodiac, right. but there's also a dark side of that. And it's interesting because they touch on it in the movie 13 Ghosts. Mm-hmm. They are my all time favorite movies. Yes, they're representative of those attributes and characteristics mm-hmm. which are part of the dark zodiac. So the call was a challenging call. You had to write a story within that framework. And DT did something really unusual with that call. Sometimes they don't want a whole manuscript, and I bumped into this elsewhere. They want a paragraph of your writing. Mm-hmm. And they figure if your paragraph can nail them, they're going to send you a, co- a full contract for a story. And that was one of the, the way that one worked. Wow. So I had the Gemini, which I am, and her, the characteristics were so different than what we're used to Gemini. So the duality, that kind of thing is pretty prominent. But when I researched it, and I'm a research fiend, um, it's, a, it's a character called the Basilisk. And it has two heads. But it's, it basically comes down to, it doesn't really manifest the negative traits unless it's provoked. Yes. So I created this character, and her name is Maria Rossi. And she's got a very colorful backstory. (laughs) And she has some a unique set of skills because of her backstory. But you really have to push her. You really have to push her. And I do like to create strong female protagonists. Now, if you read the story, she's actually a little older. And I feel middle-aged women are grossly underrepresented in horror. So I feel it's kind of like one of my missions to get them out there and show them experiences both good and bad make them some of the best heroines and the most nasty protagonists um so i set out to design this character and i wrote this little story and it was one of those anthologies people didn't quite get the meaning of even though it has a terrific toc and the table of contents and author contents and the stories are incredible a lot of people didn't understand what it was about so just recently, and I, you know, I've got one of these things where am I growing the bangs? Am I not growing the bangs? Like doing a comb over with my hand because I don't know what I'm doing with the bangs. Um, it's awful. It's awful. Um, so just recently, I've been pointing out the book and the story a little bit more because a lot of people keep saying, well, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? One of the stories, Christina, I've had the most personal messages about was that story mm-hmm. and I get I need more of Maria Rossi. <gasps> I'm pretty sure I sent that. Uh, you 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 might have done it, but I probably got maybe 14, 15 of those. Yeah. I need more of Maria Rossi. When do we get more of Maria? That kind of thing. So that is simmering. That's something <gasps> that, that may be that may actually be a full novel. Yeah. Um, That's exciting. Well it's something I've been wanting to do, and it's kind of interesting because it was um, brought up in an interview. It was a question from a listener. There was it was actually a live interview going on. It was a question for a listener 
of if you could rewrite a classic, what would you do? And then I gave my reply to that. And actually, there's a working outline of this plugging Maria into this character as we speak. So she may come to fruition later this year. Um, exciting. That's yeah, exciting. It's exciting. One of my personal favorite characters, um, and I'm thrilled that you you enjoy her too because she I love pers- her. for me she's like um, when I started writing that. There's a scene at the beginning, Marion, where she's on a bus and she sees a young man looking to kind of snatch a woman's purse or yes. get into the fence because she's tapping away. You know, she's commuting to work and she's tapping uh-huh. away, and she's on her earphones. <laughs> And right off the beginning, you understand that this mild-mannered librarian is not what she seems. Mm -hmm. And once I started writing her, you know, and my husband laughs at me. He's like, well, how do you know these people? Like, do you write out? I usually come up with a name. They tend to tell me who they are when I start writing them. They they tend to start taking shape in your mind. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, a, a handful of clay. And as you start putting words to what you're seeing them do and their storyline, they take shape themselves. So the clothing she was wearing, the way she looked, the way she tied a plastic rain bonnet over her hair (laughs) when she gets off in the beginning of the book, that goes back to something I remember my grandmother always doing. You know, God bless them. That generation always had one of those little plastic fold-up. Yes, my grandma. In the little plastic. Yes. And I I wanted to kind of demonstrate that Maria really wasn't very smooth. I mean, she kind of just went through life not wanting to attract a lot of attention because nowadays if you saw a woman doing that you'd be like oh my god I haven't (laughs) seen that in 30 years right that's the thing but I felt like just a small detail like that would be relevant relevant as to exactly how just plain and frumpy this woman was um and she she really is one of my one of my favorites and uh She's got a lot more story to tell and her skills, which she can both use for good and not so good. She's got a real serious set of skills and that's going to come into play in the novel as well. So So I'm I'm just thrilled that somebody like Christina, who of course is going to pick up on all my Easter eggs from now until the end of time, picked up on her so fast. Yeah. Well, it's not only her, but, um, Moving into the next one, Ellie Cinders. Ellie Cinders, Cinderella. I was like, yes, give me all of this. Um, it's, it's so funny because you're, you're hitting on all my, I've got probably three that are my absolute favorites. Mm. Um, Ellie Cinders was a call by, actually it was an invite anthology mm-hmm. from Crimson Pinnacle, which goes back to RJ Rolls and Jason Myers. And they wanted to do a twisted fairy tale. And there's some phenomenal authors. And then I think Kevin mm-hmm. Kennedy's in that one. Yeah. I mean, a great lineup. Oh, Mike Emmenbach's Pied oh, Piper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If oh, yeah. you don't read another story, read the Pied Piper. Read about the Rat King. I mean, it's it needs it needs film. I mean, it was just such a great story. But my all-time favorite 
fairy tale is Cinderella. And I am one of those girls that when she comes down that staircase in Disneyland, I will cry. And I will and I will shove all the little princesses in their polyester dresses out of the way to go over and tell her how much love I love her. Really because to me, she represents so many of us at some point in our life. I mean, I was real geeky and skinny and a bookworm and nobody looked at me twice until I was 17. You know what I mean? I can relate to the classic phoenix from the ashes the classic butterfly from the cocoon everybody every every girl every every spirit every feminine spirit has got a cinderella in them where we just want to turn into everything that we know we can be and to me she was so represent representing representative of that ellie cinders i decided was somebody that didn't have it quite as easy, like the classic Cinderella, but instead of the usual minions that surrounded Cinderella, and she does have kind of an evil stepmother and evil stepsisters, but her, (laughs) her fans, I made kind of members of a mom. So her, her mice that run around and buy and do things and the ones that have always got her back like the goose that turns into her coachman um you know he's a getaway driver for the mob and the other mob guys are like old retired gangsters and I grew up in an area where there actually was a lot of those ethnic groups there still Uh is and you'd see the old I don't know what you'd call them, the OGs, the old Godfather wannabes in their track suits, you know, with the morning paper, barking down the horses for the day, yeah. you know, wearing the big glasses, you know. That. So I kind of made them into the form of her special caretakers. Her godmother is a character named Sparkly Ed, who wears sequin pants. He's very into theater. And he's a makeup artist and strong influence on what happens to her. Um, And then there are a couple of, I guess you'd call them enforcers that come to her aid and they rescue. uh, There's a, it, it takes place. And when she has to go get shoes for an event, she goes into a shoe store and there's a very unpleasant character there whose name is Mr. Prince. And he's not what he appears to be. And basically, when these beautiful girls are going to him for shoes, it comes out that he's doing really awful things to these beautiful women. So somebody has to also step in and rescue them. And I tried to portray these mob enforcers as big muscle men with very nasty ways of um, dealing with people. But they're ultimately protectors of these women they all ultimately come to their aid so in other words it was also another case of what you're seeing may not be what you're getting (laughs) um and it's funny christina because the end of that once again i kind of slam you a little bit dark at the end forcer's (laughs) name hamburger mike um and i had a few people like oh my god i can't believe you did that and I, I don't know whether it was one of my sisters or somebody, they were like, did you really have to ruin the story by ending it that way? And I'm like, oh yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, 
ultimately a lot of horror and a lot of dark speculative does in karma you get what's coming to you and it may not be of this world it may be supernatural it may be a curse it may be paranormal it may be that your life is so irreparably changed that you can never go back to living it the way you did before but i'm a strong believer in karma and it's funny chris because at the end of that i had to give karma a chance to really shine I oh karma came through karma, <laughs> karma <laughs> sent a fax carrier pigeons yeah. uh yes. smoke signals the whole shebang <laughs> smoke signals <laughs> it's the most fun to write and when i i write these things i literally sit at my screen and i sit there and i go did I just really write that? And then I imagine myself as a reader and I'm like, that's exactly what I had to do. Yeah. I really had to eliminate this person that way. And I really had to make it ugly and brutal because yeah. you know, there's always that age old question. What are humans capable of? Right. You know, always the holier than thou that say, oh, I could never do that. You know, the pearl clutchers, you know, we won't call them Karens because there's males and there's, there's everybody that does that. And I have always said, I'm okay because if you deal with me, karma will get you. Mm-hmm. But if you come after anybody I love, I will dig up every old evil boyfriend. I will <laughs> dig up every curse at my disposal. And in that story, it's kind of like those old gangsters who are retired and just sit around drinking coffee all day. They still have people they can call. Yeah. And they, still, they still have things that happen. It may not be today or tomorrow. And as we know, life is all about timing, but that karma will creep. Oh, up. yeah. And that's always what I say. And Mike laughs at me. He knows me so well, my husband. And he's like, He's like, I'm not the one you got to worry about. He says, anything ever happens? He goes, she's the one you got to worry yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> How long it takes, I will make sure that karma finds you. You know what I mean? Because you, you almost have to. Otherwise, oh, yeah. there's going to be a huge gap in your life. And how many times do we say, you know, as a teenager, you know, the classic thing. Oh, if I could go back to high school, I would never right. let anybody bully me. I would never let those girls be mean to me or I would never. When you write, you technically get to do that. Yeah. You get to get all those demons out of your past and give them their comeuppance, as my grandmother would say. I mean, they ultimately can get what's coming through them through our stories and through <laughs> what we write. And that's not to say you don't have little twinges or you're not affected by it sometimes right because sometimes it does stir up some of those things like you know if you were the nerdy girl at school nobody picked for kickball well there might come out yeah me too and there might I was tall and geeky and nobody I mean I always had my nose stuck in a book I mean I was not the cheerleader you know I have sisters who were but I was not the cheerleader. I was tall and geeky and I always had my nose in a book and I was real intense. And um, you do pull on those emotions that may be long buried, but they're still a part of who you are. Because if we're lucky, we get to rise above them and create our own future. I always yeah. say it's, not, it's where you end up. Um, 
but I do tap into them sometimes with some of these strong characters that I write, especially the females, because there's, there's not anybody I know in my life that hasn't dealt with something. So it's a little cathartic way of getting some of that out, but you're also kind of sending out cautionary tales that right. go ahead and screw with me, screw with me. I mean, go ahead and mess with me. And I don't, I'm not one who uses um, people's names in my stories. Other people do that very, very effectively, but I, I just don't do that. I choose to go with fictitious names. Um, but there are, there are people that get their, you know, they get their karma when, when you're writing. And that kind of goes back in that story to some of that stuff from my old hometown and some, mm-hmm. of, the, some of the people. And The last one I want to talk about is, my absolute favorite, absolute favorite is Crisscross Girls. Oh. Crisscross Girls. Birdie Montrose. She broke me. Like, <laughs> it is, like, I could see her on, like, a ranch like yours, a farm like yours. I could see the have you read this one yet, Marion? No. no. Oh my gosh. In Good Southern Witches. Yes. By J.D. Horn, who is a 25-year force in the industry. His imprint is Curious Blue Press, but okay. J.D.'s got a pedigree like a poodle. He basically was one of the most patient editors with me. Mine oh. was the last story that was accepted into this anthology. And once again, there's a bunch of heavy hitters in it. I mean, I say that there are people whose work I admire. Not Boom, got it. Um, yeah, not <laughs> right? oh. because they're the most prestigious, but their body of work influences me. Yeah. They're people who write like I aspire to write. Um, and Bertie Montross is a Texas water witch. And I live on a ranch in the middle of literally nowhere. I'm surrounded by fields. Um, still 19 kind of 50s here in a lot of way. Um, my post office is also the general store and the feed store. Oh my God. And I walk in there and they basically make the sign of the cross and avert their eyes. But I'm also Mrs. Michael Jaggy. Um, Michael's family goes back to real old history here. So they don't mess with me a whole bunch because I'm married to who I'm married with. And it's just a fact of life. Otherwise, they'd probably be tar and feathering me. You know what I mean? Or lighting a bonfire in my honor. You know, with me is the main event. Uh, it's just I, I hope you realize that you know like every few minutes you just solidify the speculation that you are a witch <laughs> <laughs> I wish and we do have very specific um, superstitions I have um, five sisters um, my, my life is women. I'm very sororal and I'm surrounded by very strong, competent, accomplished women in my life. And my friends tend to be strong female personalities. Um, I have compassion for those who aren't, and I understand, but the people I choose to have in my circle are people who are, they're fighters. Yeah. We, we dig it out, we step up, we do what's got to be done. We may whinge about it, we may have our own private meltdowns, but ultimately they're strong female characters and I do tend to write those characters. And Bertie Montross, um, 
is actually based on reality. There are old ranchers here that still hire water witches. There are people that, and it's called dowsing. And if you, if you Google dowsing, it's found all over the world. And it's basically it's magnetic forces, right, of rods or sticks. And supposedly you do find water sources. Well, I will tell you the number one commodity in South Texas is water. Well, where other people have energy concerns and property concerns, everything here is water. Your water is your most expensive commodity, and it's also the hardest commodity to come by because now it's starting to be regulated because there's not enough of it. Um, and there are still old ranchers that will call in somebody who's known to do this to try to find out where there might be a source of water because digging the well is about 40 grand now. So yeah. before they set out to dig a well for a property for irrigation in the fields or personal use, um, they will have somebody come and do water witching and douse. And awesome. Mike actually had a truck and I could do it because what it did was it took me to where he had the water lines. A lot of it's just science. It's the old copper pipes or the old zinc pipes before pvc there were metal pipes <laughs> used as a conduit and especially in agriculture you've still got a lot of those old pipes they don't really have any reason to update to pvc and contemporary plumbing right. they're going to do whatever gets the water to the cattle whatever gets the water to the fields kind right. of thing yeah so Bertie montrose basically grows up in this narrow-minded rural community, her options are limited. And if you, you read a lot of my short stories, I do write about women whose options are limited at the start because it's another way that I enjoy showing no matter where you came from, it doesn't have to be where you end up or who you end up. Um, and Birdie comes from pretty much the traditional you know women are seen not heard you don't need an education you know thank god we've moved off we've moved past that for the most part but for a lot of years it was a prevailing attitude and there are still pockets in this country where you know women aren't advantaged oh, for yeah. traditional reasons because they don't have access so you know people say well everybody take class online I know people in, in the hollows of Kentucky and they don't have internet access. Yeah. I mean, up until recently, I still have to use satellites. You know, so people that say in their infinite, you know, superiority, oh, well, anybody can take a class online. Anybody can get a certification online. No, they can't. And not everybody can afford $150 or whatever the hell it is a month for <laughs> right? these services to bring in the satellites and all these things. We still have a lot of pockets in this country of economic depression, mm -hmm. whether it's West, whether it's indigenous, whether, like I say, it's in some of the very rural mountain areas. It exists in this country more than people realize. And mm -hmm. unless you extensively or have contact with people, you don't realize it. So Bertie's exceptionally disadvantaged in that. Um, and in that story, it, it kind of takes in what happens because of small-minded beliefs. 
And what happens because men aren't always respectful of women. And I even kind of, Christina will know this because she's such a passionate reader of historical Easter eggs. Up until, I will say the 1930s, 40s, women were basically chattel. When you married somebody, and I mean, this we can go back to as far as you want to go. I mean, you can touch on it in Bridgerton. You can touch on it in a lot of the contemporary dramas that are period dramas. Women didn't own their land. No. Women didn't own what was theirs by birth, by marriage. And this touches on kind of the historical aspect of that where you may come from it. It may have belonged to your grandmother, but they marry these men or they marry a partner or they get into a situation with an elder in the family. Not, that all becomes null and void. You don't own anything. And if you don't go along with what the dominant attitude is, you will be persecuted. You will be silenced. You will be eliminated. And people have always said, well, you know, you write with a bit of a feminist twist. No, I'm, I, I am a feminist. I mean, I'm not, I think we all are in our, in our own direction of that, but I will fight for a woman to have a voice no matter what that voice is. And in Basic this story, human right. Well, ex- exactly. Um, but it's still not <laughs> happening in a lot of instances. Right. And, you know, I'm sure, Marianne, you deal with so much of it, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it. I mean, it's a very um, known form of abuse where you're, you're silenced or you're not heard or oh, yeah. you are gaslighted or, you know, there's, there's so much of it. But in this story, it actually goes into more of a physical manifestation <laughs> where, again, I try to do a historical throwback to the witch hunts or whatever and you know there's that that saying we are the daughters of the witches they didn't burn and i think we all are i think in each of us there's something that we fight for to be intelligent to be in heard to be respected you know recently uh somebody said i want to say it was gibino and uh, he's, he's brilliant on Twitter. Love him or hate him, he's a character. He's, a char- he's always got an opinion. And he said, what was the worst thing somebody ever said to you since you've been writing? And I will say this a million times because I wasn't very far into it. And I had written a story that was getting a little bit of attention and a very snarky male said, pretty girls can't write horror. And it disturbed me so deeply because... We fight to be heard anyways. And yes, it's an asset. But like I've always told my younger sisters, your looks may get you in the door, but your brains are going to keep you there. there. (laughs) Really, really, really good at what you do. Work harder than everybody else because you're going to have to. And it kind of propelled me into using that attitude that so many of us still deal with. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're just not respected. You're Mrs. Somebody or you're, you know, you're grouped into these things. And in that story, I wanted to bring out some of that, that you can go ahead and try it with all of us. And I know I'm sounding very feminist here. And I think one of my reviewers said, ah, yeah, it's another feminist story. 
It is, but it goes back to the fact that women are magic. The, the female psyche, the female persona, the female intellect, um, whether you're born with it or you adopt it or you choose it, it's magic. And how deep that magic goes pretty much is what you do to us. Absolutely. You, know, you, can, you can either get our magic that comes sparkly pink twinkles off our fingertips, or if you read the story, you can freaking call down the elements on it. You know, mm. if you, you, you have to have your voice heard and you can't keep taking this away. So a lot of times in my, my, my characters and even in the new girls patient, my, my current novel, not novella, um, once again, there was a woman whose voice was silenced. She, she, was, she was told she couldn't do the things she was doing. Um, they weren't acceptable. They didn't go along with the monster she was basically sold to for moonshine and tobacco. She it didn't go along with what he was trying to achieve. And yeah. monetary, you know, he, he dupes people out of their money because he shows himself to be an undertaker during, I will say it's the Dust Bowl era, the Depression era, that era where people didn't have money. And they had people dying. There was disease. There was famine. And they had to they had to take care of their dead. And he dupes people into thinking he will do it for them. And then the story goes on from there. His wife is given the task of preparing these bodies. And that evolves into a lot of the story. And when she says, I'm going to tell people what you're doing, he literally silences her. So for me, a lot of these characters, especially Bertie Montrose in, in uh, Crisscross Girls from Good Southern Witches, it's about women being silenced. And you have to go dark with the stories because the history is harrowing. Mm -hmm. What currently is harrowing. I mean, there's still things going on. You know, there's political things. There's personal things. So... I feel as a female that does write in this dark genre, it's almost a, a minor responsibility if it works in the story to bring some of that in um, because they say, well, write your truth. It is part of my truth. It's part of our collective truth, um, but also to show that goodness and light and power, I still believe do prevail and that this is what you do want to embrace um, it's great to go to the evil side. Um, it's great to threaten to go to evil side. It's great to present as going to the evil side, but that ultimately in my heart, I believe the way forward is to always look for this little bit of light, look for the green, as they say, that kind of thing. So, um, I'm, you just hit out three of my favorite characters. Those, those are three of my faves. <laughs> I mean, they, they, and you know, the, que the question that was going to go with it, you pretty much answered. Um, actually, you answered pretty much all of them. <laughs> ah, yeah! <laughs> um, it's just well, I something... Say, my first rodeo? I've actually done a few <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I already know. You guys are tapping into some points that really haven't been brought up. And I don't think I speak just for myself. As somebody writing in the genre, I mean, um, this genre, the genre of dark speculative and horror is so multi-layered. 
You can take it in any direction, your story and your character. You know, a lot of times people are, at, you know, recently I've, I've read some things and I've had some people um, in conversations say, well, should I write to the sub? Should I write to what's selling? Should I write what people want to read? And I think there's a place for that. But ultimately, if you can't create a convincing character, um, and it's yeah. something that's in almost every one of the reviews I'm getting for the novella, you have to connect to them and have compassion to them. And you have to be able to understand them no matter how bad they are. Yeah. And I think that it's something that if you're writing to just a submission call, or you're writing because you think it's a story that's going to be marketable, you're missing an opportunity to become a better writer mm -hmm. because you're not writing to your truth. You're not writing to what you personally really believe is what people want to read. And I think if you can tap into that little bit of getting people to care about your characters, as well as crafting a well-written story, the sky's the limit. You can write in any genre, you can write to any sub, because ultimately, and I would, re I would really like to get how, how you guys um, tapped into this. I did an interview the other night with uh, Tommy Clark, and, and I, I was sitting mm -hmm. in there when they were actually doing a, a review of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Ooh, you know, we were I talking have about emotional characters and how, how horror basically taps into every human emotion. Mm -hmm. And the people that say they don't read horror, they're offended by horror, I get that. It's not for everybody because mm -hmm. real life is full of it too. But it's that ability to tap into emotion. And no matter how big and bad your monster is, no matter how heinous your uh, protagonist is, you got to tap into some emotion. Uh -huh. You got you to get people unsettled in where they live every single day. Mm -hmm. And and. To me, that's that's a real big thing right now. I do you guys think that's what's happening right now? Is we're we're tapping into these emotions and we have Oh, without to, a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Oh yeah. And I think that's what people are actually looking for. They just don't realize mm. that's what they're looking for. I think of all of the posts that we've seen recently on books of horror where people are like, none of these books scare me. I'm not scared by any of these things. Where are all the actual scary books? I'm like, well, you know. Number one, fear is very subjective and yeah. completely based on your own personal history, your personality, your childhood experiences, your personal traumas, exactly. your mental health your personal issues. Triggers. It's all about you and who you are and who you've been built up to be. And the other thing is that if you're going into a, an Aaron Beauregard book <laughs> or an Ash Eric Moore book looking for something that's going to scare you you're you're actually stepping through the door into a world of surrealism yes. that's not our real world you know full well those things are not going to happen yeah. in this world because it's well, we hope they go yeah, yeah that would be pretty extraordinary if yeah, they yeah, did exactly. But exactly. for the most part, those are not things that are going to happen in your yeah. life. It's exactly. the Johnny Athan books, like The Groomer and mm -hmm. The Wolves Den, so where our children are taken, so where, our, where real life predators are stalking your neighborhood, where things that can actually happen to you and the people you love, that's horror. That's where you'll find your fear. And 
I think people are misjudging the concept of what is scary. Oh, without a doubt. I think that people gatekeep horror too much. Oh my like Marion, Marion tried to get me to read. What was that one that was about poetry about the missing girls? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's the woods all the way through. Well, which is my, a book of poetry about actual real life missing and murdered women. So my only trigger that I have in the world is kidnapping because I suffered from postpartum depression and it's manifested as postpartum anxiety. So I'm moving up in the world. Um, <laughs> you now have a new tag. <laughs> I do. Whoop, whoop, leveled up. Um, that is my biggest fear I tried to read the chain by Adrian McKenty oh yeah and I had to put it down not because it was terrible writing not because I didn't like the characters it was because it was too real it was my biggest fear so to me scary is not a Simon McCarty book and a Sean Hawker book and an Ash Eric Moore book that's just scary That's just a Saturday night. That's children. just a mental roller oh, coaster. Yeah. Yeah. That You're just is on a mental roller coaster. It's a warm up. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a palate cleanser. It's a <laughs> it is. It is. But scary to me is holy shit, you made me think of my children. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. And yes. so books like that, because Marion was like, you've got to read this. And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> and that's the only time. I will have to say no to a book. And it's not because I don't mesh with it politically. It's not because that doesn't matter to me. Um, Hello. Only Hello, pretty girl. Hi, pretty only girl. because of that. Can you go get me the thing for your hair? Please? I'm going to be brushing hair as we talk. That's great. <laughs> and there's Hello. the other one. Hi, Tyrion. Right here. Hi, buddy. Hey, go on. You look like you're from Kentucky with those teeth. Um, <laughs> in the, the adult, best the best name. Oh, you know how womanizing to name him, man. It's so fabulous. Oh, I love my it. husband actually named him. I love it. And uh, he named our daughter too. Her name's Sarah Ophelia. I love it. Ophelia's my favorite. I am like, so you're naming her after a woman who kills herself over a man. That's like just Mia. what I wanted to set her up for on you, yeah, he named her after a character yes. written by a man. So see, I look at it different. He's yeah. paying homage to a master of the craft. I mean, yes. Yes. I wanted to name her uh, Artemisia Draconia. That's intense. That was vetoed. That was vetoed. <laughs> Right, that is intense. <laughs> she would not be able to spell that until high school. Right, right, right. She'd have to wear like a, you know, like Carrie in uh, Sex in the City with a nameplate necklace. Yeah. A lot, of letters, a lot of letters around her neck, yeah. So yeah, that was vetoed. So, damn it. Get damn it. But I, get I, think, I think back to that, I think that, you know, Marion, like you said, I know your field of psychology. I wonder if, if people, and I'm not, I'm not speaking for like in general, I wonder if sometimes people are getting a little desensitized 
And I think because yeah. of social yeah. media and the exposure that we have, um, you know, the first time I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was the most terrifying thing in the world to me, this guy uh -huh. right away with the chainsaw. When I watched the last incarnation, I was laughing my ass off. Mm -hmm. And my husband was sitting here going, why are they filming him? Why aren't they ramming the phone up his ass? Right? You know, I understand. You know, How the a, fuck do a, these kids afford a self-driving car? God damn it. What is going on? I'm so confused. I, I was like, why are they video i said it's a commentary on our current social condition mm -hmm. this is what people do they're desensitized to the horrors they're desensitized to the emergency the catastrophe the accident on the highway they're they're equally as interested or more interested in filming it i said you've got to see the satire in this and mike's like well, you know, I would have had that phone so far up his ass. Like, uh -huh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, Mike. Uh-huh. Right. You're <laughs> but that's not the world we're living in. You yeah. know what I think? Yeah, not everybody, they don't respond that way because they don't know how to respond. Our, yeah. our world is different. Our emotions are different. I have to remind him of this on a, on a frequent basis. <laughs> and it doesn't mean it's good, bad, or indifferent. But I do feel that in the field, there is some you know, desensitizing going on. It's another reason the extremes are doing really well is because yeah. people are looking for the next shock thing. Yes. And I think there's a place for that. I don't write it well. I will, I will touch on it in scenes because it goes with the story. But kudos to the ones that can throw it out there and make mm -hmm. it all work. Um, but I do think in terms of accepting stories they're not able to connect or able to say this freaking terrified me because mm -hmm. especially after the last two years people are numb so yeah. they're looking for something to jog them out of that where and it does make our job as writers a little bit tougher i will be the first one to say it the first chapter of we all know what i'm going to say stolen tongues by felix blackwell freaked me out to the point Karen. of where every night at three o'clock there's a little window in my little bathroom off my bedroom and you can see out into an open field I would close my eyes when I had to pee because I didn't want to look out and see a tree line out that window Carrot the it fucking parrot god damn it <laughs> it was the simple implication of something so unseen and so horrific that we couldn't wrap our mind around it but it's like when is that closet door going to swing open yes. when are we going yeah. to see this dark figure on the tree line and living where i do it's a blessing and a curse because it influences a lot of what i do and it also can get pretty scary and like i say there's only like a little half curtain on that window and it looks out into an open field with a tree line I couldn't look at it. It was like looking in the mirror after Candyland. How many of us want to look in the mirror and say Candyland or Bloody Mary? We do not do it. We nope. do not dare do it. It's the implication of that horror. It's not the in-your-face horror. And in Stolen Tongues, that freaking parrot made me wonder what was going to come out at me. Uh-huh. That remains to be seen. But the psychological terror... Mm -hmm that there's something we can't wrap our minds around happening to me is so much more terrifying 
than the visceral realities that are in your oh, face. Oh, yeah. There's you know? nothing more scary than, than the unknown, the feeling of helplessness, and the feeling yeah. that you no, learn, no longer have control over right. the situation that you're in, right. uh, potentially to a fatal level. <laughs> Oh, that's yes. where the fear comes in. That's what's and really terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Imminent you risk of harm to self right. or others. That's scary. That's violence. Like, um, just real fast. I actually have to jump off because I have to take Captain Fun Sucker to school. So I will see all of you guys later. I'm so well, sorry. You know what? We're going to pause right here. We're going to take a quick ad break. We're going to give homage, some praise to Godless and Mr. Drew And Ruthann and I will be right back. Have fun hauling those butts off to school, Christina. Farts. Okay, bye. Hey kids, looking for a way to affordably access the best and wildest independent extreme horror currently in existence? Godless Horrors is the place to be. Go to www.godless.com to gain access to thousands of extreme horror and splatterpunk books from the genre's best and brightest independent authors. Godless Horrors offers every title in their catalog in a variety of formats to ensure compatibility with your favorite digital reading device. Strapped for cash? No worries. Godless has a fantastic collection of free titles ready for instant download, with other titles in their collection rarely exceeding $3 to $4. Again, go to www.godless.com or download the app and tell them what the fuck you're looking for. Come join the Godless tribe today. Forever delightfully deviant. Forever Godless. Boom, boom! Good, she's gone. We got rid of her. I love her to death. Hey, I am going to hit you with three more rapid fire questions. How does that sound? Awesome. Perfect. So usually this would be the rapid fire four, but the first question for the rapid fire four is really talking about, well, you know what? I am going to hit you with all four of them because I want to know which of all of those female characters that we just talked about, which of them do you identify with the most? Bernie Montrose, because of where I live, because of the rural oppression, because I'm basically a, I, I grew up in a small town, but I world traveled. I've, I've done a lot of exciting things in my life. And when I met the blue eyed monster that I've been married to for 25 years (laughs) basically stole my soul and got me to move here um it almost did me in Marion because it it was such a a different perspective on life in some ways it's lovely it's very simple but in some ways it's so oppressive and so judgmental and it was I know yeah 
Yeah. So for me, Bernie Montrose trying to rise above the small town attitude that she would never be more than what she was. Um, and there's even a, a phrase in that story where her dad says she doesn't need to go to college. She needs to go someplace and meet her future husband. And hopefully he's got, you know, land, you know, that kind of thing. I have actually heard that said in the last 25 years. Isn't that? Oh. It's so disturbing. <laughs> yes. But when you live in an area where land is a very big commodity asset, and of course, everybody knows the biggest privately held land in the, in the United States is in Texas, um, it's very valuable. And there's a lot of choices that are made to hang on to that commodity. Um, so I will say that I relate most to Bertie Montrose, crisscross girls. Why horror? Why horror for you of all genres? What was it that drew you the most to horror? I've always loved it. Me too. <laughs> I ramble home from Catholic school and I come from a very Catholic background. I tell people 17 years of Catholic school is why I am the way I am today. I went um, to Catholic school too. My father's a priest. Part of, part of it's cathartic for me and I'm sure it is for you too. But I just always loved it. I would sit there and and and, and watch the repeats of Dark Shadows. <gasps> Me and too. I, I wanted to. Yes, I wanted to be those powerful women that had the the skills and the the love of the vampire genre. And once again, I was always a voracious reader. And so many, and I, I had this discussion with somebody the other day, a lot of your classics, like I had to take Latin and I had to take classic literature. You get into some of those mythologies, Greek mythology, there are monsters, there are terrible things happening. There are brutal executions. Oh my God. Yes. And to me, they were always so exciting. And then the threat of hellfire and damnation and doing the stations of the cross and you yes. thought, I on a cross with nails in them and you hear these terrible stories about the lives of saints and how they were martyred yes. don't get me wrong I'm not diminishing anything for anybody whatever gets you by but it was very influential to me as a child yes in the uh the group conversation that I had with Donna and Nat and Sonia when we talked uh-huh. about like our first introductions to horror I always consider, I consider the Bible oh my and, God, yeah. and Sunday school, my first introduction to horror, because there are horrible things that have Abraham and his son, like the whole concept is built around this man who hears a voice from heaven and is like, yeah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to murder my son. Yeah. I'm going to do Cain and Abel. He murders his brother because he's. He's jealous of his brother and then he, he, he massacres sheep so that his, his, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's kind of like, it's, it's the original Midsummer. It's the original. It is. It is. Absolutely. I freaking, yeah. And that's where it all starts. Really. Honestly. And same with Greek, Roman mythology, all of it's so fucked up. It is. It is. And it does influence you. And I think that because I always read so much, um, and then I remember sneaking around to get a hold of Stephen King's early work. 
because it was published in like Playboy and you'd have to steal somebody's magazine to read it. And it was mostly published in men's magazines Uh because I thought we were too fragile to actually read it and enjoy it. Um, And just that early exposure to maybe what you weren't supposed to be reading because my mother wasn't having it. I mean, you weren't going to bring that stuff in. And if I was watching something on TV, because, you know, not everybody grew up, you know, in, in my demographic, we didn't have seven TVs. I mean, you had one or two TVs and you pretty much watched what your parents wanted to watch. But there were always those Saturday afternoon matinees and you'd go to the movies. And I was so excited about all that. And my mother would be like, you know, saying an extra road. <laughs> Also, that little bit of the forbidden, that little bit of you're getting away with something that maybe you didn't have approval for. And Mary and I grew up in upstate New York, and it it really is magical. And I say that in my, my author bio, there's something about the light up there. There's something about autumn, the pumpkins and the leaves and the bonfires. And Halloween was huge when I was growing up. Oh, heck even yeah. Though, even though my parents were Catholic, we grew up in a neighborhood with everybody had eight kids or 10 kids or whatever. I come from eight. And it was huge. These small neighborhoods would celebrate for days. And we'd have our masks and our costumes and we'd run around like little heathens. It was a huge part of my upbringing growing up. Holidays were celebrated. Even though I didn't come from any kind of privilege, it was always made special. There were always stories told. And just the fact that you lived in that area, you lived in this mystique of the changing seasons where the light would hit a way you know so many of the the really strong authors come from the Hudson Valley you know you've got the headless horseman and there's actually quite a few other um there's a lot of witch stories that are written in that area um you know Salem is the classic a lot of it for me personally has to do with the changing seasons and the fact that you do witness the earth dying and Uh you do witness the rebirth so for me horror was always what's next what's nice. possible yeah what's in the cornfield what does that scarecrow out there think about this you know so actually it was a very much a part of my my upbringing or whatever um and the other part of it is it's very cathartic and I think I touched on that earlier we can work out a lot of life issues when we write in a genre that allows us to oh, go yes. dark allows us to touch on once again those forbidden subjects or those taboo taboo subjects that maybe you don't talk about in polite cocktail conversation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we took a deep dive into that one I had the pleasure of talking with a bunch of authors just about the relationship between horror and mental health and just the the, both the catharsis and trauma processing you experience from both writing and reading yes and why we believe so many of us end up hanging out in this dark corner of literature together because it's actually a very comfortable place for us to express and experience feeling and emotion and healing Mm-hmm. Which is really most people would be like, what you, you know, healing through horror? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm healing through horror. Watch me. Yeah. <laughs> you find out you're not alone. I yes. Mean, 
about the most beautiful tribe. I mean, I yeah. have met people that get me. And once again, I'm very fortunate because, I mean, my husband just thinks everything I do is amazing. I don't know how I ever got so no. lucky. He doesn't always understand it, Marion, but he absolutely supports my uniqueness. And he loves that, you know, he's like, well, I lived here all my life and I never went out and laid on the roof and looked at the stars and talk about the things you talk about. He says, I never looked out and saw the stories that you see out there. So he's starting to see the world a little bit more through my eyes, which tends to be outside the lines of, of normal life's color. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that once you find out that you're not alone in these feelings, that there's very much... Uh, a tribe, a community, there are other people. And, you know, I know everybody from people that still write in a composition notebook with a pencil to people that have got three PhDs in this genre. Uh We're all unified and equal by the genre. It's the most accepting, um, intelligent. Um, I, I I am floored by what I learned from people in the genre on both sides, from readers, from writers, from reviewers. I mean, on all sides, publishers, it's forgiving. And I think ultimately, like you said, we're all looking to find a way to either be forgiven or find forgiveness, whether it's our life or something we've done ourselves, mistakes we've made, um, injustices we've suffered. It's about ultimately finding redemption. And to me, the very best stories allow that little bit of redemption and it's not like you and I grew up where these crumbs are being thrown at us and maybe you'll get to heaven if you walk this path of crumbs just the right way here it is this is in your face and if you get through this you survive this horror hell you're gonna anything or even if you don't survive it in some ways you find a redemption there's a quality to it even the most hardened criminal in some of the stories that I read, there's a degree of resumption because maybe they find peace. Maybe by their very elimination or the fact that people stop seeing them as monsters. You know, I read a kid's book years ago and it was about a monster that nobody would see anymore because the kids had outgrown him. Well, even if you stop seeing these monsters, in a way you're allowing redemption at a certain mm-hmm. point. And, and that's, that's a big part of it, I think, too. Our, our community is utterly amazing. amazing. It is. It is. And I think people really don't expect it. They, especially those of us who are more into the dark fiction side of things, the more subversive, transgressive. They think that we're all just a bunch of, like, weirdos. Like, Good sick old weirdos, old right? Old like, Good murderers. <laughs> But it really, it is the nicest community of people. Some of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. I just, and the most generous and caring and compassionate. It's just extraordinary to me. And the other thing is you can wake up at two o'clock in the morning. And there's always somebody. And I need have a story. Literally, I will sneak out and I'll get on my iPad and I'll just be like, what's up? anybody around you know a lot of us tend not to sleep a whole bunch for whatever reason I think high creatives don't sleep a whole lot we I always say I'll sleep when I'm dead 
Um, and that, you know, now that I'm getting a little bit older, that's kind of like, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta try to pace myself a little bit. I can't do what I did at 25 or 35 or anything like that. But there's always somebody around with an ear. And it's not always who you expect. Right, I have, right. I, I have some friends and we just, we just know who the other one's going to be around if there's something that we need to work through or we need to talk a storyline through or, and like I said, what, what is exactly the membership of Books of Horror? I mean, it's yeah. phenomenal. It's one of the biggest communities, groups, influences. There are so many people from so many lifestyles that just are looking for a place where they're not the weird kid. Right. They fit in there. And especially like, and I'm sure you could, you could talk to this much more in the past two years, especially in mental health, there isn't been a lot of help. Help. It's gone to the back burner. I mean, yes, you can do virtual, you can do, you know, whatever gets you by, but there's been a lot of people that haven't had access. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more, especially some of the people that started writing during the pandemic. This was their way of coping. Oh, yes. That says so much about like you brought out the genre as a healing process and as a process that helps you work through and think through and knowing that you're not alone. And I have these thoughts and somebody else might be thinking this, am I weird because I want to do this to a character in a story? Or, you know, we often joke that if anybody ever saw our Google searches, some of the things we have to tap into are very, very dark. And that's because like I brought up at the, at the beginning, it's got to be accurate because there are thousands of personalities reading this or reading a review. They will call you out on it if you're not accurate. Oh, I yeah. Medical group where by what's the, what, what's the process if you get hit by a bullet here? What happens there? There are physicians in the group and they deal with trauma and they're like, no, don't write it that way. This is what happens to the body. And this is, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. And it goes from beyond being uh, spooky or dark to clinically fascinating. Yes. But you have to learn so much to employ it in your story in a meaningful way that someone else might read and say hey yeah I had that happen and I think that's where that's where some of like Daniel Volpe my boy Daniel I mean he's fabulous with left to you he tapped into emotions based on violence based on horrific acts we all know about but he did such a unique and fresh way uh-huh. that I think a lot of the people that are relating to it and interviewing it now, or reviewing it now, it's current for them. They, they see this threat. It may not be the same threat, but it's the same overpowering heaviness on them. You know, what I, I, I think a lot of people, and I haven't had a chance to talk to Volpe about this yet. And maybe I'm you know, overanalyzing and overthinking it, but the whole concept of left to you and this demon, this evil that our main protagonist carries with him out of the concentration camp, because if you're not familiar with this book, left to you is set during the Holocaust. It's set within a concentration camp, 
but it is a remarkable piece of allegory regarding the guilt and the generational trauma carried by families of survivors of the Holocaust and this pain and this agony and this you know, facing the, uh, the eventual like Holocaust denials and all of this and the way that it has continued to affect them up until modern times. Like there's always, you can always go five steps deeper. I find horror is, is an iceberg, a lot like our own behavior. Cause all of our behavior has meaning. Everything in horror has meaning. We see all these jagged, frightening things above the surface, but what is underneath the water is five times bigger yes. and more meaningful. And to me, that's the cause of that's that. horror. Horror is an iceberg. <laughs> I had to bring that book up because it's such a perfect example of what we're speaking to um, and why horror and Mm -hmm. the effect it has and how it can heal and how the demons may be internal, the demons may be external, the immediate threat that humans of any persuasion feel what they're dealing with. Is it real? Is it manifested? Is it psychological? Is it normal? Is it, and in some cases, it's all of the above. Yes. And that little book, little novella hit on all of those points at a level that it's, it's rare to have that kind of emotional response brought out to something. It's basically rooted in horror and is horror. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that's why horror, Marion, that's why we do it. That's why we write it. That's why we read it. There are lessons to be learned. There are life lessons. Oh, 100%. Yes. Now, that being said, are there any other literary genres that you would be tempted to dive into at some point? Or do you just feel like this is your home? This is where you're meant to be? This is, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I love. I have been asked a couple of times if I would consider doing other things. I've been invited into pieces of work that kind of went into other things. And of course, you always get that. Why can't you write something everybody would enjoy reading? Because um, huh, I, I know at least 20,000 people who are going to enjoy reading this. So y'all can kick rocks. <laughs> but I think what they refer to is conventionally more acceptable discussion yes. stuff um my husband is so proud of me you know he'll he'll, he's, he'll say oh yeah my wife's an author and they're like oh yeah what's what she you know and it's so funny because people people tend to pre-qualify of course but oh yeah what you do put a book she self-published she put a book on amazon uh no like we have boxes of books she's been published like going on 25 times you know that kind of thing he's so proud of that but you know to the to that point He'll tell people, they'll say, oh, what's she right? You know, is she writing like the next Lonesome Dove? Is she ah. writing? He's like, no, she writes horror. I've got him to say dark speculative fiction because that doesn't scare him off as fast. Right. But he's like, oh, hell no. He said, ah. she writes kind of dirty stuff. He goes, he's, he's proud of it because he thinks there's a power in it. He there thinks is. That's, there is, but he also believes that sets me apart. He thinks that because, and he knows my intelligent level and, you know, he knows, 
you know, he, he gets this about me after all these years, but there is a power in it. Um, the only other thing I might consider, I, I might consider is a YA, um, only oh, because yeah. I love that it's, it's now, um, becoming a lot more popular, um, that people are allowing and, and encouraging. And, you know, we deal with so much of this controversy about banned books and educational systems and what's acceptable and what isn't. And there's so many people that are choosing to give their children a different type of education and expose them to the work of Neil Gaiman and Edward Gorey and all these other, you know, goosebumps and the things that we things that we, you know, there's nothing like a Coraline. There's nothing like a nightmare before Christmas. But I think within that genre, there's still so much room and I think there's such a fine line to do it well there is a possibility that at some point I may try something along those lines but in terms of any other genre I'm gonna say no I'm just not into fiction I am not into nonfiction. I just don't have the interest in order for me to craft the characters and tell a story there's going to have to be a little bit of an element in there of darkness or contemplation or horror. I personally would love to see you do some YA horror. I would give those books to my children in a heartbeat. I love that YA is becoming more dark and more confrontational because I think for mm, quite a few decades, um, our adolescents and our children were, uh, they, they, they were taking, authors were taking their ability to process and to handle heavy stuff for granted. They were minimizing. It was washed, whitewashed. It really oh was. yeah. It oh yeah. We were babying them. And especially now after all of the trauma that we have as a society and a culture have experienced over the last few years, well, these kids are looking to be, they are looking to go into something that's going to force them to confront heavy stuff, to confront their feelings, to confront their fears, because they've already lived in terror. Well, we've inflicted it on them. It's yes. Often, we have inflicted it on them. And now everybody's like, it's kind of like, you know, there's that great line. I love the book and I love the movie Cold Mountain. And there's that great line. Reese, uh, who was it? Uh, you know who I mean. Oh, not Reese Witherspoon, the other one. Renee Zellweger. Yeah. It's dealing with the Civil War. And she says, you know, they make it rain and then they wonder why they're wet. They, they, they cause this war and then they wonder why this is happening. And I think in essence, we cause this and now our children are acting and reacting and acting out and not knowing. I mean, I've seen it in my own family. I've seen mm-hmm. it with the kids in college. I've seen it with so much of it. My friends that are educators and professors, they are struggling right now. Um, And when we say YA, it can mean anything from elementary on Mm -hmm. up. I know JC Alexander put out that Attack of the 3D Zombies recently. Yes, yes. Teacher, oh my God, I love it. I want my, my niece to read it when she's a little bit older. I mean, basically... The cautionary tale in that is this is what can happen if you sneak off to go to the movies when your parents tell you not to. Yeah. You may spy zombies because yep. of zombies. They come alive because of some event or something. 
But I think that it's a genre that right now in particular um, needs to be explored. And I'm thrilled that it is opening up. They did just um, proclaim that there will be a Stoker Award issued in that middle grade genre going forward. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's recent. I want to say within the past month or so. And I know all the awards are controversial and we can get it. You know, that's that's a whole yeah, other Yeah, whatever. Let's um, celebrate people however we can. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, the fact that they created that category to me was huge. It shows there's a need. It shows that it's why people want to read in that. DNT is kind of in the forefront. I give Dawn all the credit in the world. Oh my God, Dawn Shay. She's got young kids. She put a call out recently. Send me what your kids are writing. Send me what your kids are drawing. Let's explore this. Let's give them a platform to show them that this is available to them. Because like you said, there were several generations that were whitewashed with superheroes. Now there's a place for superheroes too. Because Mm -hmm. everybody needs to believe that there's somebody who's going to swoop in and save them. Even though my personal superhero is, of course, the dark, conflicted Batman, always will be. Um, I'm actually looking forward to Robert Pattinson. I think he's going to kill it because um, he's moody AF. You know yep. what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> the role of justice, especially after seeing The Lighthouse and some of his other lesser known movies. Oh, um, my God, that movie. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> And I think I think he's going to give us a superhero that is even more conflicted than what we've already been exposed to. Um, so I do think there's a big place for all that. I will say that I think some of it started with Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. The Walking Dead. The parents that have allowed their children to dip into some of that. Let's take it back even more. Let's go to Harry Potter. There's oh yeah, this stuff in Harry Potter. Oh, oh yeah. And everybody wants to, you know, jump on the political bandwagon. And yes, we've all got our opinions about JJ and everything else. But here's the thing. Twilight, Harry Potter, they got kids reading again. They got them reading. There were two generations of kids that didn't read. These books, no matter how dark they are, no matter what the subject matter is. The Hunger Games. Yes, they got kids reading. It's yeah. great to throw the Lord of the Rings at him and say it's a classic. It's hard, though. It's hard. It's, That's heavy. There's a lot of descriptive stuff in those books. And I mean, it's a beast to plow Yeah, through. kids want action and adventure and something that's going well, to be light you know, they, and easy to follow. And exciting. they really tried to take away Lord of the, I mean, you know, Lord of the Flies. I oh, mean, oh, Ride with these things and they're going to continue to try but what they're missing is when you expose kids to these alternate universes and these immediate threats and i've always said the walking dead and somebody said something so funny the other day i've watched it since the beginning and you know it's gotten so awful you know it's, know. it's, it's and but somebody said the other day i'm gonna fly that plane right into the mountain and i am too i'm gonna watch it right to the very end it's not about the zombies. The zombies are the secondary threat. It's the interpersonal relationship between humans in unnatural settings or immediate or threatening or horrific settings. Yes. The, the horror, the fiber of their lives has been uprooted. Yes. How are they 
people reacting. Who are the monsters? Are they these creatures that are walking around that we assume are dead? Or are they, are they the living humans that are not able to cope with the changes? Oh my God, yes. So This is I, why I loved Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House oh God, so yeah. much. Because yeah. that really, yes, there are some visual scaries that happen in there, but it's about family trauma. It's yes. about interpersonal dynamics, mental illness, right. substance abuse, like, uh, and say with Midnight Mass as yeah. uh, two Catholic school graduates, you and I could probably talk <laughs> about that one for hours. My father is an Episcopal priest. He and my sister sat around and talked about that show for legit two hours because, I believe because that. of the way that, Mm, yes <laughs> there's another one and it was on hbo and they're actually doing a second season it was 30 coins oh was- i haven't had a chance to watch that one yet oh my god that's heavy heavy connected to bible passages oh, heavy, I'm heavy so in. symbolism it's in it was in spanish with yeah it is so well done. It topped the charts in Europe and, and, and we started watching on the HBO when it was on. The last episode of the first season pushed every boundary of television in the way they portrayed the devil coming into this small town. I couldn't believe how graphic the violence and how visceral the blood and the sacrifice and everything was in that last scene. Once again, it goes back to our previous conversation. That might be one that you kind of suggest to your dad. It's, it's ultimately, ultimately horror is good versus evil. Yes. Like so many other things. It's the ultimate lesson of good versus evil. And it's not always what you think. It's uh-huh. not always good that is the one that you want to walk that path with. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little prop here and I can't say too much because it's just starting to come out. There's an incredible duet coming out in June. Eleanor Mary put this together last year and it was by invitation and it's the death of a soul and it's sin and virtue. And if you look at my page and you kind of see some of these other, and the the table of contents, the author content is mind blowing. It was extremely challenging to write, but it's exactly what we're talking about. Whereas what you see is good may not be where you want to walk. What you see is evil may not be the one to shy away from. It was a very challenging story to write and it's 10,000 plus words. So I mean, you're going to get two books, but they're basically short novellas. There's 14 authors. And when you see the lineup, it's going to blow your mind. Oh my God, I, I'm so excited. It's just released. Look at the cover. I'll send you the covers on my page. Yes. Um, you are going to want this arc, but it's exactly what we're talking about. And Eleanor Mary's OG. I mean, she was writing her first, she did zombies before they were hot. She did this, you know, world thing. She also writes under a pen name as Ella Burns, and she writes some of the most dark, twisted. If you haven't read They Call Me Teddy, it is, uh, it's fine it's books. It's, it's generational. It's serial killers. It's incest. It's ugly. It's the whole nine yards. Eleanor's not afraid to go there. But when she puts out something like this and she does it more rarely, 
than she used to. Um, I've published with her before. This one's going to be a monster, but it's basically good versus evil. And I think when you talk about horror, like we've been doing, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. But evil may not always be the bad thing. Yeah. The evil may be what you need to resort to in order to survive. Or, and I think, and we're going to mention Trad Bernie here. I mean, <laughs> his very favorite movie where we can't say the name that cannot be spoken. We're going to talk about the witch, the witch. You know what I'm saying? It, it's you, 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 it's about embracing what you need to embrace to survive. Uh-huh. And I when we read a wonderful analyzation of that film, and of course it's one of my favorites for the, the way it's filmed and everything. I believe, yeah, he he's done a few a few other really impressive ones too. Um, I think it's the the what is it, the croning or something most recently. Um mm-hmm. director. She followed that path and it goes back to the puritanical, to the manifestation of every time she, they said she was the only one that looked back when the family was leaving. And the fact that she looked back on her own life when they were leaving was enough for the devil to see she had doubts about her faith. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he swept in in the form of Black Philip at that point. Because she, the young woman, was the only one. And I watched the movie again to see this point. It was a very cerebral discussion. It was like some, some, somebody was analyzing it. She's the only one who looks back when the family is driven out. Because she had regrets. She wanted the comforts of her life. You know, do you want to wear pretty dresses? Do you want to taste yes. yes. She was the only one whose faith was not steadfast mm-hmm. and as we all know she's the one that embraces it and ultimately is the survivor where others fail because of it so it's not always the darkness the, the light that will allow you to survive your situation um may have to resort to some pretty ugly or unacceptable things in order for you to go forward in order for you to survive and thrive and it may be in a different form you may shed your skin you may you know levitate and fly up with a whole new bunch of girlfriends but yeah you have to go towards something but ultimately it's good versus evil you know one of the most impactful quotes i've ever heard or read was actually attributed to Anton LaVey, uh, the founder of the Church of Satanism. Right. And it he said that their whole philosophy revolves around the fact that God loves you because of what you do. The devil loves you in spite of what you do. Oh. And I always thought I was like, well, sign me up. <laughs> relationship for everybody that you just love them for what they are for who they are for who they are at their yes yes oh my gosh oh there's no there's no greater meaning to unconditional love and And you know gray area there where so much in horror can be interpreted there's so much gray area and some of us present that gray area because 
we almost ultimately want the reader to decide who's the bad person here. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Or who is this monster really the monster? And I'm actually writing something for the first time where there's a monster of sorts. Usually my monsters are other humans or there are other situations. Um, I learned early on that if you're able to make your setting a character, which is a classic description of Gothic literature and mm-hmm. Gothic movies as well, if your mm-hmm. setting can become that character, well, then you've got something else to use in your story. You've got something else to play off of. Um, but for the first time, I'm actually going to try to create literally and figuratively a monster that wouldn't be found in natural life Ah. Um, and that to me is that's a whole other area because I I seem to be able to do okay with the monsters and humans and the things they do um now I want to see how the humans react when they're faced with something that isn't of this world and I think the world we're living in currently you know, everything from, okay, where did the COVID virus come from? Uh-huh. Was it made in a pizza dish? You know, um, I recently, I had to, I had to, I, I had a invite submission and I had to do research and I decided to write, and I don't want to give away the story because it isn't out yet, body brokering. Mm-hmm. Do you know there are body brokers and mm-hmm. you're a nurse mm-hmm. and Fluids are regulated, bloods regulated, organs yeah. are very heavily regulated. Uh-huh. Do you know there's no regulation of other body parts and that there are five saleable body parts, each limb, the torso and the head? And I mean, you get into reading and researching some of this. <clears throat> there's stuff happening in our world right now. Oh, yeah. And if you Google body brokers, and it was actually, I tapped into it from a story that was in the BBC News about an elderly man whose family donated his body for science because that was what he wanted. Now, there's actually a body farm in San Antonio, which is the closest big city to me. Um, They use it for your forensic research and that type of thing. Fascinating. But no, you can't go visit the body farm. You can walk around the perimeter. Are they going to let you go in and dig? Oh, hell no. You know, it's buying suits from head to toe and it's strictly mm-hmm. controlled research. But we've also got the Southwest Research Center in San Antonio, which is groundbreaking for some of the things that they discover there through their experimentation and their processes. Um, but if you get into some of these situations, and it was a, a story about an elderly man whose family donated his body to science, there's no regulation as to where those body parts end up. Yeah. And now individuals can, in fact, and of course, there's always unscrupulous morticians, funeral directors, other people that handle the deceased. There is stuff going on right around us where these body parts are being brokered and being used and being artistically oh. employed. And, and I had no idea, Marion. It wasn't mm-hmm. until I came up with this idea for a story having read this, that the family over in, I don't know if it was Ireland or Wales or someplace was suing because their father basically was sold. I mean, he didn't yes. go for, he didn't go for some grand and glorious improvement on the human race. Basically he was chopped up and sold to somebody yeah. that wanted to in their living room. Yeah. I he was pieced out. Do that. 
So, I mean, to me, these monsters that are among us, the opportunists among us, the ones that are praying are a whole other level of monster that needs to be tapped into. And they're as ugly as a wolfman transformation Absolutely. or a or a, you know, our classic monsters. There are monsters among us and we've got a new, we've got a new description. We've got mm-hmm. a new characterization of monsters because of the world we're living in. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know any of that. I mean, in your profession, you probably, you know, you read these scientific reports and stuff. I mean, I, I went into the living room screaming. I was like, do you know you can sell body parts? And Mike's like, yeah. And, you know, he raises cattle. It's, it's, it's the commodities to him. They're nothing yeah. to him. You know, he takes real good care of them and then they're gone. You know, that yep. kind of thing. But they're actually, you can, you, you are allowed by law. There are no regulations on this. To me, that's a new kind of monster that is preying on families who are indigent or they're honoring their parents' wishes or their family members' wishes to have their body donated to science. Mm-hmm. They're all in the, the body farm or used for experimentation that's going to find a cure for cancer. Yes. There are monsters out there. Absolutely. And this is to me something that's real interesting going oh forward. i can't wait to see where that goes it's given us some, it's given us some new ammunition oh yeah <laughs> well ruthann if people would like to contact you directly where is the best place for them to do so what do you prefer they can they can find me anywhere i do have a an active website um www.ruthannjaggy.com um i try to update it um i have an amazon author page you can find all of my work there. Um, I am active on Facebook, which drives me nuts, but it's the devil we love to hate. I'm on Instagram, which oh. I really enjoy because you can do your visuals and, yes. and it's kind of neat there. And I am on Twitter, which I believe is the devil, but <laughs> you know, I make some nice contacts. And I will tell anybody that's interested in breaking into the genre or breaking into writing in general. There are a lot of generous people who do post their calls, who do post their submission windows. There's a lot of information to be found on Twitter. There's no reason for you to get caught up in the drama or politics Mm -hmm. or anything else, because on my feed, I pretty much see only relates to what I do. Uh Um, Wonderful people. And you see new releases, but you can also get a leg up on some of the stuff that may be coming. So a lot of the publishers have a presence and they will say, oh, this is going to open, you know, March. This is going to open May 1st. We open for novel submissions. One of the biggest things I think a lot of us are asked are, where can I send my work? How do I get publishers to see my work? Who's, who's submit? Twitter is probably your best source for that. There are a lot of groups on Facebook. You can take them with a grain of salt. Books Mm -hmm. of Horror does not really go into a lot of the subcalls and things. Mm -hmm. Um, I find most of the accurate and the best information comes from Twitter. It's fast and furious. What is your Twitter handle? I am Redhead Writes, R-E-D-R-I-T-E-S, Writes, Redhead Writes, at Twitter perfect um, it's 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 pretty much easy to find me um i'm very approachable 
just shoot me a message? She or? is. This is true. <laughs> I believe you can also. I'm not cheap. My husband will attest to that. <laughs> um, you guys are the best. I mean, I've loved y'all since hello. Um, I just see, I see what you do just getting bigger and bigger and better and better and more exciting. Oh, thank you. I know you've got some guests coming up. I cannot. I don't even know how Christina is going to get through Chandler. I know I mean, he's coming up next is, weekend. <laughs> this is two months of buildup. She has, she is probably, I, I, I will be surprised if she can get through it without hyperventilating at this point, but I know she's doing her homework and preparing. Um, and there's just so much good stuff available. So many good things going on. Um, and We're thank you all. Blast. Thank you all for what you're doing um, oh, and yeah. your busy lives for all of us as writers and reviewers. Oh, and, you know, there, there isn't really any separation. We're all just up to it to our eyeballs. Who uh-huh. <laughs> giving us a platform and a voice and um, good things. This is going to be a great year. You can, great- you can also find Ruth Ann in our Mothers of Mayhem Facebook group. So if you are looking to reach out to me or Christina or Ruth Ann, that is a great place to be. So you can come find all three of us there, the Mothers of Mayhem official Facebook group. And then by jumping in there, you can find links to all of our various social media accounts. (laughs) And if you want more information on Ruth Ann, we're going to put as much as we can possibly fit in today's show notes. So you can look down there in uh, today's information. You can get more details about both her and her bibliography. Um, If you want to send us more questions, more comments and insults, you can always send them to our email address, momextremepodcast at gmail.com. That's m.o.m dot extreme podcast at gmail.com we also have a very fun new feature which you can find in our tagged posts on our facebook group or at our anchor.fm marion and christina it's the mothers of mayhem anchor uh website you can now record a voice message for us and submit it and you might hear that voice message spliced into an episode in the future so please take full advantage of that it is super fun and we would love to have your voices included in the show um as always do not forget to send dildos to christina dm me if you need her mailing address and every week we give a huge thank you to singer-songwriter Amigo the Devil for allowing us to use his song Hungover in Jonestown as our theme. We could not have had anything that represents us better. And his support is, it just means the world to us. So until next time, go raise some hell, children. Make your weird book mommies proud. We love you. Love you to bits, Ruth Ann. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, darling. Yeah. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. I love you too. Bye, guys. Bye. Life is a joke. And death is the punchline. Oh, la, 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 la.